The end of an era. Britain's Queen Elizabeth II is laid to rest. How different will the reign of King Charles III be? And what role does the British monarchy play in a world where the Commonwealth's relevance is in question? I'm Hashim Ahlbada and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests from London. Zaid Belbaji, managing partner of Hardcastle Advisory, a political consultancy. From New Delhi, Mridula Mukherjee, a professor of history at Jawaharlal Nehru University. And from Sydney, we're joined by Cindy McCreary, head of the Modern Monarchy in Global Perspectives Research Hub at Sydney University. Welcome to the program. Zaid, is defining what it means to be a monarch in modern times, particularly amid this ever-changing political landscape in the UK, is it going to be the biggest challenge facing King Charles III? I think it will be, and you're quite right to point that out, Hashim. Um, however, it is something that the monarchy has looked at um, for several decades now. We've seen a monarchy that's grown very much more attuned to young people's issues, the use of social media, trending issues such as climate change. And I think King Charles, while he's been um, taking on some of the roles of, um, of Her Late Majesty, has um, been very keen to embrace those issues to keep the, the monarchy up to date and relevant. Mridula, King Charles III is definitely going to start building bridges with, with the different parts of the world and particularly with the Commonwealth. India is part of, a, of the Commonwealth. King, uh, when he was uh, prince, uh, Charles made many visits to India. He said he was impressed with the diversity of the country. But you get a sense that there is a complex relationship there, particularly this sentiment among the Indians that the that Britain needs to apologise for the atrocities that were committed during the uh, British colonial rule? Uh, to, for the first part uh, of your question, yes, I think the fact that uh, uh, King Charles, when he was uh, Prince Charles, uh, made uh, more than 10 visits uh, to India, which is quite unusual, obviously shows that he had some strong interest in many aspects of the country. It is known uh, that, for example, he was very interested in Ayurveda, the traditional uh, system of medicine. Of course, he also showed a lot of interest in some very interesting uh, aspects, you know, uh, for example, the Dabbawalas uh, of Bombay who deliver tiffins to lakhs of uh, people uh, through bicycle and train and whatnot. So he's been interested in, in many things, including he visited Mother Teresa uh, in Kolkata. And there are very interesting stories of his visit over there. So obviously, I think he has already a familiarity with the country, which would be much more than many others uh, in the royal family. And I also understand that uh, one of our very famous uh, uh, holistic uh, physicians has been his personal physician for the last uh, more mm -hmm. than a decade of his and his wife. So I think there are aspects of Indian life which have obviously interested him, fascinated him. He's also taken a lot of interest, as you know, in the issue of climate change. He's, he's supported various charities that have worked in India. Mm -hmm. So on the whole, I don't think India is going to be like an unfamiliar uh, territory for him, and I don't think he should find it difficult to deal with India. Sin the second part of your mm. question about, uh, you know, the, the the feeling or sometimes the demand that comes for apology for the atrocities, etc. I think the demands have come for more specific things, like 
when the queen made her last uh, visit there was mm-hmm. a public kind of uh, feeling that when she visited jallianwala bagh which was the site of one of the atrocities where hundreds of people were killed in cold blood that she should apologize well she didn't actually apologize in so many words but expressed a regret and so there was also a sense of regret in india that she did not uh, come across as full apology but i do wish to point out one thing to you well, well, that this, if, this is sindhi sindhi if you don't mind i'll i'll get back to you to talk more in detail about those issues but let me go next to sindhi sindhi i would like to ask you this question is there any urgent need for king charles iii to reinvent rebrand reform the monarchy for the monarchy itself to continue to appeal to its own people thank you hashim that's a really complex question because on the one hand i do think as an earlier speaker said that there are many issues that charles is uh, com- very committed to such as climate change youth issues which appeal very much to young people in my country australia but also countries in the united kingdom and around the world and i think that would um give charles great more popularity with that demographic and we know for example that many young people don't actually um connect very well with charles at the moment uh and they have more sympathy and interest in younger members of the royal family not only the new prince and princess of wales but also um controversially harry and meghan so that's a challenge for charles if he wants to retain uh and encourage youth interest in him as a monarch on the other hand of course as he said in his first speech following the queen's death he very much wants to follow in her footsteps and he he's trying to uh, demonstrate a sense of stability and continuity with the very successful reign of his mother but to modernize too quickly or too far to appeal to young people risks of course losing support among older generations who typically tend to be more in favor of the monarchy in many countries so i think it's a very great challenge for charles i'd also add that i think a number of the mm-hmm. areas where charles can perhaps make um the greatest contribution is not in his role as sovereign but as head of the commonwealth um climate change youth issues mm-hmm. are areas where not only are many people interested around the commonwealth but it's also an area where he may be able to speak more freely then of course he can as a sovereign where of course he needs to be very quiet and not to be seen to be meddling in the politics of Britain or indeed any other country. Zaid King Charles III is king of the UK four deeply divided nations that form the United Kingdom divided by class generation geography politics economy isn't this an extremely extraordinary task that the monarchy itself will have to assume in the near future in the near future to be able to bring together this this gathering of four nations you're quite right hashim and again like we've discussed earlier in this debate it's one about relevance um you will have noted that the monarchy has been very keen to hug the devolved nations of scotland northern ireland and wales during this 10 days of national mourning it is no mistake or accident that the queen began the you know her, her coffin began in edinburgh there were bagpipes at her funeral um king charles was keen to address the welsh parliament in welsh and there there was that very um emotive visit to belfast uh, th- there's no mistake that the monarchy has done this on purpose um and even going further afield there will be um an issue of course with 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 um the home nations but um even farther afield with with canada australia new zealand um we can expect king charles to be on the plane i think the 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 queen visited canada over 20 times 
again, she was, I'm sure, um, a great author of her own uh, funeral today. And it was no mistake and no accident that Canadian Mounties led the funeral procession again a nod to a larger, more political issue that may or may not rear its head in the future. In terms of the most pressing one for King Charles, it would be Scotland, um, because there are parts of Scotland that, you know, are slightly restive with regards to their part of the union. Mm. However, what he has on his side is his grandmother, the Queen Mother, Queen Elizabeth. She was, um, she was Scottish. The family does have deep Scottish roots, and it will not be lost upon many that, um, you know, King James I came to inherit the throne from Elizabeth I, and he was King of Scots, and um, the, two, the two kingdoms mm -hmm. are, are very much united in terms of um, blood and, and history. Muridullah, quite interesting, right after the death of Queen Elizabeth II in India, particularly on social media, there was this demand for the return of the famous Kohinoor uh, diamond that was discovered in India and which formed the, uh, the, uh, the, the main uh, jewel on the... Uh, uh, the main part of the crown jewel. Now, apart from this, let's set this aside. But in India, when you have part of the Commonwealth, you have the queen now, the king as the head of the state, although a symbolic role. Doesn't this going to look one day a very anachronistic idea that needs to go away with history? You know, the, I think it's necessary to understand that when India joined the Commonwealth, this issue was very much there then. How would India join the Commonwealth? Because India was becoming a republic. So this was sorted out then, that India does not recognize the king or the queen of England as their monarch. Not, mm. it's, not a, it's not the same relationship as Canada has or Australia has mm -hmm. in the Commonwealth. The king was then uh, recognized as the symbol of the unity of the Commonwealth, but not as a monarch or as uh, somebody who was recognized uh, as uh, the head uh, in any way in occupying any position within India. So this was already an adjustment that was made to accommodate India right at that time immediately after independence. So therefore the monarchy in India and the Commonwealth is not seen in the same way as it is seen from, uh, from Australia or Canada which are different, you know, which, which were colonies where British people went and settled, you know. So there is, there is, I don't think there's any issue over there. That issue was settled long ago. Nobody in India thought of Queen Elizabeth as their queen, mm -hmm. you know. So she's the queen of uh, England. So it's a very different issue. These issues have been sorted out. About the Kohinoor, well, you know, this demand keeps coming up from time to time. Uh, uh, and of course, it it will come up now. It has come up already. Now that this is a time to wait. The thing is that, frankly, I don't think that it's going to happen. Okay. Of course, we would be very happy to get the Kohinoor, but I think politically, one must recognize there are four countries that have laid claim to it: Afghanistan, Pakistan, India. And you know, the thing is that if the British start returning all that they've taken from the rest of the world, the British Museum will be empty very soon. And I don't think that's on the agenda. So practically speaking, I don't think it's happening. Cindy, the uh, Bahamas Prime Minister, 
Philip Davies intends to hold a referendum to remove King Charles III as official head of state of the Bahamas. This comes against the backdrop of a decision made in 2021 by Barbados, which removed Queen Elizabeth II as, queen, uh, as, as, uh, as, as head of the state. The Australians are looking forward to do the same thing. Are we talking about an organisation, the Commonwealth, that becomes more and more irrelevant in the eyes of many people? Well, I think we need to distinguish, Hashem, between the Commonwealth and Commonwealth realms. Mm -hmm. uh, there are 56 nation members of the Commonwealth, but of those 56, 36 are republics, mm -hmm. like India. Uh, and only 14, well, 15, including the United Kingdom, are Commonwealth realms, and then there are five uh, other monarchies. So I don't think it's a question that the Commonwealth itself will become irrelevant, but I do think we will see, as you've just suggested, uh, more Commonwealth realms becoming republics. But what we know, and India really was the test case for this, that it is possible for a country to become a republic but remain within the Commonwealth. So I do think that will happen. I don't think all Commonwealth realms will change. I don't think Canada will. And I think we know in Australia that our Prime Minister has uh, confirmed that his priority in his first term of office is to enshrine an Indigenous voice in mm -hmm. Parliament and that a referendum on the Republic would wait till a second term of his government, which in Australia would not start till 2025. So I think we've got a, a while to wait with Australia, New Zealand and other Commonwealth realms. But the Commonwealth itself, I think, has potential now with Charles as its head, because, as I've said, he is so interested in many issues which are relevant. The Commonwealth has some of the youngest, it's got the very um, youthful population, it's got some of the poorest nations in the world, uh, it's got nations which are so vulnerable to climate change. And these are issues which Charles has a solid track record of advocating for. So I think the Commonwealth might actually become more relevant under Charles's leadership, even if the number of Commonwealth realms drops. Mm -hmm. Zaid, you were talking uh, early about Scotland. But as you know, there's this pro-independence sentiment which is gaining momentum in different parts of the world. In Scotland was one of those places. In Northern Ireland, the Sinn Féin became the... Uh, the, after this year's elections, the largest political party in Northern uh, Ireland's assembly. It, couldn't this be an indication that the monarchy will really have to tackle some of the most delicate issues that it has just been delaying for quite some time, which is basically many people saying that it's about time for us to chart our own political course, our own destiny? Definitely. And I think um, Scotland is an important case. As you know, there was a referendum in 2014, around 55 percent, a decisive 55 percent um, wanted to stay part of uh, the United Kingdom. The same in Canada. Surveys show, you know, um, about 55 percent in Australia and elsewhere. But the home nations, I think, will be the most um, pressing issue and a real challenge that I think the new king would like to um, to, to confront head on. Um, the, the, the wealth and the, the power of this, this country is because of this um, very union, and I think it's um, almost sacred. So uh, the monarchy will be at the forefront of efforts to try and keep these, um, these countries um, tied together. Um, but there are strong ties, and I think um, it, it, it's almost a wake-up call. It's not mm -hmm. so much an invitation for them to leave. They have de devolved parliaments, devolved mm -hmm. senates. They have first ministers. They have a lot of... Um, sign off on their own internal policies, for example, in Scotland. However, the monarchy will need to, to look at this quite closely. 
and you're you're right to to raise that um, Hashim definitely. Mirdula, we, we, we sp- we, we, we've spoken about the challenges. On the other hand, when you look at King uh, Charles III as Crown Prince, he was known for his outspoken uh, stances when it comes to the climate change, religious tolerance, diversity, and so on and so forth. Do you think that these issues could help him build bridges with different parts of the world, the Commonwealth and India in particular? Because they resonate among many, many people all over the world. Certainly, certainly. I think these are precisely the kind of, uh, uh, within quotes, non-political issues where he can play an important role. And I think uh, that's one reason India stayed on in the Commonwealth, because it felt that any uh, avenues where countries could work together in areas other than uh, just straight geopolitics were important. So the Commonwealth can be a very important forum a progressive forum for working on issues on which you actually need international cooperation. Everybody knows that climate change issue, which is one of the biggest issues before us today. Uh, just see what's happened in Pakistan. I mean, the floods, one third of the country is under flood. You know, South Asia is actually reeling under the impact of uh, climate change in an unbelievable kind of way. I think we would be more than happy in this part of the world for any initiatives and leadership which makes people come together and have strategies which actually work and get implemented Mm -hmm. with goodwill uh, from all sides. We could do with that. Cindy, uh, King Charles III, uh, his mother was coronated during the decline of the British Empire. She passed away amid this uncertainty about the future of the UK following Brexit. Do you think that in a way or another, the future of the monarchy itself in the UK is going to be purely shaped by political and economic issues in the UK itself in the, uh, in the long run? Hashem, this is a very difficult question to answer, but I don't think it's just going to be simply political and economic issues which will determine the future of the monarchy in the UK. I think that, as as other speakers have said, there are strong ties of history with the four home nations, but also with the Commonwealth. I think, in a sense as well, a a monarchy that can modernise and can gain the goodwill and the support of young people in particular and younger generations by showing, as we saw with the, the funeral procession, the promise of of the future, not just the current monarch, but the future, the heir to the throne, and indeed the next heir to the throne with William and George. And I think also a a monarchy that, you know, in the words of of William um, Badgett, that 19th century, um, you know, political theorist who wrote the English Constitution, who talked about the magic, uh, the the dignified part of the Constitution, namely the monarchy can give. This is where that sort of magic um, could keep the monarchy going, albeit in a, in a ceremonial way. Um, I think that celebrity now is sort of entwined into monarchy. Uh, we, you know, we see that, that the way that I think many people understood the reign of Elizabeth II, not through history, but through fictional programs like The Crown on television. Um, this, in a sense, weirdly, I think, may offer hope for Charles mm-hmm. and the monarchy if people can continue to believe in the magic. Okay, Zaid, when you succeed someone who has been there for 70 years, who's been larger than life, could 
King Charles III legacy be just trying to maintain the same appeal the monarchy has had during Queen Elizabeth II? That on its own was going to be widely seen as his biggest contribution. I mean, the reality of this conversation, Hashim, is longevity, as in um, this has the, the monarchy has been in uh, times like this before. King George III, um, Queen Victoria had very long reigns, and those that reigned after them reigned for particularly short periods. This is just the reality of, of life. Um, I think, though, um, the king has some very specific views, which he will make known, for example, on the size of the family. Um, the reality is this will be a almost caretaker reign and um, a filler between two other, two other reigns. That's simply the way that succession works. However, what I would add is that monarchy always has detractors. But the real interest and the magic, um, you know, that was last mentioned is that you're in Doha, I'm in London, our guests are in Australia and in India, and we're discussing a family in central London. This, to me, and the outpouring of, you know, condolences, etc., over the last few weeks shows the enduring quality of this family, whether it's through its celebrity, mm -hmm. whether it's through its political influence, whether it's through colonial legacy, has a huge footprint Thank you. Um, on the world. And I think we've seen that, you know, just with the Commonwealth on how Togo and Gabon have joined. These are French colonies that have joined the Commonwealth, which I think um, is going to be the, a sign of the way forward. Uh, gentlemen, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're really running out of time. I wish we had more time to continue our conversation about this interesting topic. Zaid Belbaji, Ritula Mukherjee, Cindy McCreary, I really appreciate your insight. Thank you. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Mohamed Al Aishi, Sarah Khairat, Laurent Peter, and Jimmy Harris. Studio sound was Yasser Rahmani. The program was edited by Venish Balila, Lin Gwyn, and Jody Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Tuesday. Tuesday.